16, verses 1 through 13, as read in the Scripture reading this morning. You know, as we come to this text, we see Jesus talking to the disciples about future events. And sometimes when we look at the text, we think that's all that's going on. But really, when we look a little deeper, we find that Jesus is talking to his disciples about staying on task as far as their mission. That there will be things that can distract us from our mission, and those are some pretty chilling events when we read part of this passage that talks about persecution. And for the disciples, the destruction of the temple, very unnerving for them. But really, what Jesus wants them to understand is this. We need to stay on task when it comes to our mission. We need to understand that we have a job to do. That's share the gospel with those around us. It's important that nothing takes us off of that task. So as we look into this text, bear that in mind. The importance of the mission that God has called us all to. Now, when we come to the first verse of this 13th chapter, we find Jesus start to talk to the disciples about a tremendously important icon for them, the temple that Herod had built. And what we want to see first about staying on task with our mission is this. Man-made religious icons can take our eyes off of our mission If we're concerned about the things that man has established, if we're concerned about the things that sort of are a picture to us of what our religious activity is to be, and we forget to make the main thing the main thing, that is sharing the gospel with others, the core, the centerpiece of our mission, we'll be distracted. We will take our eyes off of what God has called us. Notice the first verse. As he was leaving the temple, one of the disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. On the outside, the temple was something that was truly magnificent. As a matter of fact, it was one of the wonders of the world. When you would come and see the temple complex, you were wowed by it. Herod had built the temple. And one wonders if it was more a monument to Herod than to God because of the work that he had put into it. Unfortunately, the temple had also become a place that was the centerpiece of the religious elite in Israel. They had hijacked the religion and they had made this temple something that should have been about God, something that should have been about worshiping Him, something more about observing their man-made rules. So when the disciples looked and commented on how magnificent it was on the outside, I believe our Lord was looking and saying how tragic it is on the inside. What should have been taking place there was not taking place. And you know, it's easy for us to substitute the externals for the internals when it comes to us. A church isn't comprised of a fancy building or the size of a congregation. These are things that man measures greatness by. God measures greatness by your adherence to a mission. And that mission is, are you communicating the gospel? Are you leading people into a deeper relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? That's what God wants to see. 
God wants to see us as people who get it, who understand that it's not the trappings of a religion that matter. It is what are you doing in obedience to Jesus Christ. So while the disciples were looking and they were saying, look at this temple, isn't it wonderful? There was probably a sense of national pride in it. There was probably a sense of awe as they looked at the architecture. The stones were massive. They overlaid many of them in gold. To look at it on the outside, you would have thought this is kind of the apex of worshiping God. But what Jesus points out is this. It's temporal. It's just here for a moment, and then it's gone. Because what we find is this. They were misunderstanding what was important, and it was distracting them from their mission. It's not important the size, the scope, the beauty of the temple. What's important is what goes on inside. Because they had failed miserably in carrying out what God had called them to do, the temple's days were truly numbered. Look at the second verse. Do you see all these great buildings? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Now, Jesus was making a specific prophecy about the temple. Here are these massive stones, beauty. It had been completed, and it was more than anybody could have imagined. It was tremendous as far as a building. But as I said, they were not accomplishing the things of God. The presence of God was not in that temple. He had departed a number of years ago, had not returned, and only the outer shell of a religion existed. And as a result, God was going to judge the temple grounds. It was all going to come down. Now, Jesus probably said this in the early 30s A.D. You know when the temple was torn down? 70 A.D. Forty years after Jesus stated this, The temple came down, and they burned it first and then disassembled it. The Romans came through, and that beautiful temple building that we saw moments ago was rubble after the Romans went through. Jesus' words were fulfilled literally. Not one stone would be left upon another. And you know, when we look at prophecy, and this was short-term prophecy, 40 years previous to what took place, prophecy is fulfilled literally. And we need to understand that. When we read prophecy, they use figurative language, but the figurative language always presents a literal happening that will take place in the future. And so Jesus talking about the temple being cast down and broken apart and being a pile of rubble, was something that was fulfilled in 40 years. But many of the other things that Jesus says in this prophecy that we're looking into this morning are not the short-term prophecies, but longer term. And just as this short-term prophecy was fulfilled literally, the longer-term prophecies will be fulfilled literally as well. And so that's something that we can glean from this, an important point that we can understand. But here's the tragic part of this prophecy. The spiritual leaders of Israel would soon crucify the Lord Jesus Christ to protect the temple and its grounds. The spiritual leaders of Israel would persecute the early church. 
flogging them, intimidating them, crucifying them. Again, to protect something that was destined for destruction. Systems don't last, but the true spiritual nature of the church always does. And that's an important lesson for us. Sometimes we will see in our lifetime a church come and a church go. Sometimes we will see ministries last for a season and then be gone. We need to understand that things may come, things may go, but you know what lasts? The things of God. The things that stay focused on God. The things that stay connected to who He is. That seek to serve Him. That seek to continue His mission. We can get confused by some of the ministries and the things that really pop for us when we look at them and understand what we need to do is focus on the things of God, on God Himself. Our service and mission shouldn't be about serving a temporary entity. It's about serving the eternal, the things of God. And we need to stay focused and not get off track when it comes to the mission that God has given this church and the mission that God has given us as a people. That's what we're to be encouraged to do. And that, I believe, is why Mark puts this in this passage, for us to grasp these truths. God determines what lasts, not man. So we need to serve God first and foremost above all things. But then, as the text continues, we come to the third verse. And this was so upsetting for the disciples that Jesus was telling them that no stone would last on another. So they traversed from Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives is about 100 feet higher than Jerusalem. And so they're sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. And Peter, James, and John, and Andrew ask him privately, tell us when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they are to be fulfilled? Now for these disciples, the end of the temple seemed like the end of the world. This had been such a central part of Jerusalem. It was inconceivable that the temple could be taken away. And so they were wondering, if if this is going, does that mean that the end is coming? Now, from our perspective, we can look back on the disciples, can't we? And we can see that they had much more work to do. They had to plant the early church. They had to spread the gospel through the then-known world. That was their calling. That was their mission. That's what God had called them to do. But they were getting bogged down in the idea that, hey, the temple is about to be taken away. And so they were more focused on that than their mission. What we need to understand, again, is keep the main thing the main thing. Always look at the mission that God has called us to and make that the most important part of your life, our life as a church, your life as an individual. We need to keep focused on that task. There are going to be tragedies and difficulties that come our way on a consistent basis, and we need to be prepared for it. Now, when Jesus was talking to the disciples, he prepared them first for deceivers who would come on the scene. In answer to their question, What's going to happen? What will be the sign that the end times are coming? Really, that's the question. Jesus gives them the answer starting in the fifth verse. 
And look at verses 5 and 6, which say this. Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. One of the things that we're to look out for in the end times are false religions. Now, let's define end times. The end times would be the time from the ascension of Christ to current day. So the end times have been going on for 2,000 years. And we don't know how much longer they'll go on. We hope that Christ will return soon. That would be wonderful. That would be exciting. I can remember as a kid, I had a dream one time that I was in a Kresge. Some of you older folks will remember those, pre-Kmart. Drinking a hot chocolate. That was one of my favorite things to do. Go downtown, drink a hot chocolate at the Kresge counter. And, boy, I sound old telling about that. (laughs) You guys remember that, right? Anyway... (laughs) I heard a trumpet and ran outside and started to go up and then woke up, you know? So disappointed, really frustrated that, man, and I have a test tomorrow, you know? (laughs) I remember that feeling and that excitement. And, you know, the end times, Christ could return at any time. Over the past 2,000 years or over the next week, he can return at any time. And that's the way we're to look at it. That's the way we're to approach it. But Jesus warns that there are things that are going to happen, and one of those things are deceivers. We've seen it, haven't we, even in our lifetime. People who claim to be Christ deceive followers and then kill themselves and all of their followers in some cases or are found to be frauds by others and disillusioning them. Many deceivers seek to destroy our mission by drawing people into their own. And Jesus is giving a warning concerning that. And look at the claims that they make in verse 6. They will claim, I am He. Now, the word I am He in our Greek Bible is the counterpart to a Hebrew name, Yahweh, Jehovah. Many will come and claim to be God or sent by God. And listen, how do you know whether or not what they're saying is true? By comparing it to God's revelation. There has been one Messiah, and there will be only one Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. So someone who comes and claims to be sent from God is a liar. If they claim to be God themselves or tell you that you can become gods, they're liars. It's not true. But yet many will be deceived. And so the warning of Scripture is this. Recognize that these false claims will come. And they'll come frequently. And we'll see more and more. And our responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ, to be vigilant. The passage starts out in the fifth verse, watch out that no one deceives you. The responsibility for us remaining true to the Word of God rests with us, ourselves. We need to look at things through the lens of the Word of God 
not look at the word of God through the lens of things that people tell us. And there's a trend in Christianity to where we've gotten it backwards. Many are looking at culture and society and the things around us and using it as a lens to interpret Scripture. Scripture should be our lens to interpret everything. And deceivers take advantage of that. They will come on the scene. They will tell people, I am God. I am sent from God. Follow me. And people are going to be deceived. John wrote about this when he said this. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know that it's the last hour. Now, what is an Antichrist? One who stands against Christ. Even in the first century, even during John's time, there were deceivers. And it has happened throughout the history of the church. There have been many deceivers who have come and who have gone. We need to be watchful, making sure that we stay true to God's Word. Paul warned the elders at Ephesus with the following words, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Even within the ranks of the pastors and church leaders, there would be those who would rise up to lead people astray. Our responsibility stay true to God's Word. Make sure that what we hear matches up with what God has said. And if not, we fall prey to these false teachers. Something else we see. Multiple wars and disasters can distract us from our mission. You know, the Scripture goes on in this text in the seventh verse to say, when you hear of wars and rumor of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pangs. You know, during my short life compared to history, I have seen a lot of wars, heard a lot of rumors of wars. When I was a child, I can remember bomb shelters. So when they dropped the big one, you could crawl into the bomb shelter You had your canned vegetables and fruits all stacked on the shelf. I can remember in school where we would crawl under our desks and put our hands over our heads and curl up into a ball like that was going to help us when a nuclear bomb dropped. There was fear that many of these things would take place. Growing up during the Cold War, constant fear that Russia would come over and drop the big one on us. Today, there are massive fears, terrorism. There are terrible things that happen around the world as far as wars and rumors of wars. And you know, we can get so bogged down in this because through my life experience, I've also seen this. Many people, when one of these tragedies come, especially localized, they say, well, the end is here because our nation is under attack, because I'm experiencing the pain and the fear of these terrible things coming on me, it's got to be the end of the world. 
And as a result, some people take advantage of this. When I was a teenager, there was a man who came and spoke at a prophecy rally. Evangelical, Bible-centered churches all came to the rally, and this person actually set a date for Christ's return. People started quitting jobs. Many of them ran up credit cards, figuring that they'd be taken out so that they didn't have to pay off the credit card. It was amazing to see what took place because this person had associated many of the disasters that were taking place at that time with signs and prophecy for the the return of Christ and as a result set a date. Jesus is warning against that in this text. And we need to be careful of that. We're to look for Christ's return at any time. But be careful about the things that you take and say, this is definitely the mark for the end. So here, carve it in granite, this is when Christ is returning. Don't believe people when they say it and don't perpetuate it yourselves. Jesus is warning us that there will be these things that will take place. And then the earthquakes and natural disasters. My goodness. Look at the terrible things that have been happening around the world. Again, when you experience one of those things and you're in the middle of it, it does seem like the end of the world. And it's awfully easy to say, this is the end of the world. But Jesus is saying, be careful. Don't identify these things as the end of the world. Why? Because if I'm constantly looking at the end of the world, I'm going to check out as far as what I'm to do in sharing the gospel. So we need to be careful of that. Look to the return of Christ. Live as though Christ could come at any moment, but plan as though Christ isn't going to return in your lifetime. That's our responsibility. When these things happen, look at what Jesus says. Right at the end of the 8th verse, these are the beginning of birth pangs. Now, what he's doing is sharing with us that we can look to the things that will happen as just a sign that his return is coming after that. When a woman experiences birth pangs, what does that mean? Delivery is coming. It rarely means, unless you're one of those blessed women that has a birth pang or two and then delivers a baby, haven't met too many of them, but I hear they exist, the birth pangs come, the labor pains and then eventually the birth. Jesus is saying that these things that are described here are describing the things that happen before the return, before the things that he has told the disciples about take place. Now, continuing in the passage, we find that after Jesus talks about these wars and rumors of wars, he goes on to talk about something else. We must be on our guard to keep our eyes on our mission. Look at verse 9. For the disciples, those wars and rumors of wars were going to come much later than a more immediate prophecy, and that was their own persecution. When we come to the ninth verse, Jesus is very clear when he says, you must be on your guard. Now, What's interesting is our English Bibles translate this, you must be on your guard, but really it's the same word that we've seen before in the text when it says watch out in verse 5. 
What he's saying is this. We are to be ready to face whatever comes our way, but we must stay on our mission. And this is brought out most clearly in this text. Look at verse 9. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. Now, obviously, when Jesus says this, he's speaking to the disciples about a more immediate struggle that they face because of the mention of the synagogues and the local councils. And then he goes on to share with us, on account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. Now, what was the purpose of their persecution? To be witnesses. To stand and share the gospel with kings and governors. The flogging also spoke of the important mission that God had called them to. By experiencing these things, they would be able to communicate the gospel with those who were inflicting these persecutions on them. The Apostle Paul wrote about what he went through as far as sharing the gospel and the suffering that he faced. Five times I've received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. By the way, that's what Jesus refers to when he says flogging. Then it goes on, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, I spent a night and day in the open sea, I have been constantly on the move, I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. There are many who face these dangers today. For the disciples, it was coming very soon. As they carried on the work of their mission to plant the church, they faced persecution. But you know what is amazing is this, as they and others in the first century faced persecution for their faith in Jesus Christ, the gospel was actually spread through it. And we see the same thing today. In many countries, people face death for their witness for Jesus Christ. In North Korea, it is a capital offense to possess a Bible. Just possession of a Bible can mean the death penalty. In Islamic countries, many families perform honor killings because a child turns to faith. There are many, many, many who stand and face persecution in the first century and even today. But here's the amazing thing. God uses their testimony. It's not a life that's thrown away. It is a life that is a witness to many. As Jesus says, they will be witnesses for him. He goes on to say in the 10th verse, and the gospel must be preached to all nations. So whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry about it beforehand, what you say. Just say whatever you are given at the time. For it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. So what God is encouraging them and us with is this. For the persecution that any face because of Christ, 
There's a witness that takes place. Justin Martyr said this, Though beheaded and crucified, thrown to wild beasts and chains and fire and all other kinds of torture, we do not give up our confession, but the more such things happen, the more do others in large numbers become faithful. 100 A.D., he said that. And that's what we need to recognize Satan can try and crush the church through heavy persecution, but it's to no avail. The witness goes on. And that's because our focus needs to be on our mission, not on the persecution that is faced. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, Brother will betray brother to death, and father his children, and Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. What a description of what goes on around the world even now. There are families where families see to their family members being put to death if they make a statement of faith and follow Christ. And yet, the mission of God, the work of God, continues. As people remain faithful under such conditions, the gospel goes forth, people hear the truth, and they respond. Now, for us sitting in a comfortable sanctuary without fear of somebody breaking through those doors and telling us that we must recant our faith, it's easy for us to look at persecution and just say, oh my, isn't that terrible? But understand this, for us, that could dramatically change in a heartbeat. When you look at the climate of our country and you look at its continued march towards secularism, we've seen many of our rights and freedoms religiously eroded. If I had told my grandfather the things that are going on today, he would not have believed it. So the potential for persecution isn't just something that's far off in some distant country or in some distant time. Potential for persecution exists for us. There will probably come a time where we will be instructed what we can say from a pulpit and what we can't say from a pulpit. There will probably come a time and when we can assemble and when we cannot assemble. All of these things are just a couple of laws away. So we need to be prepared. How will we handle it? How will we speak to these things? Verse 11, I think, has the answer. The ministry of the Holy Spirit will keep us on mission. I've often had people come to me and say, Pastor, I'm not sure if when persecution hits, I can be faithful and I can stand. Listen, God gives you what you need in the moment. Jesus is promising his disciples, when you're arrested and brought to trial, don't worry beforehand what you say. 
Just say whatever is given to you at that time, for it is not you speaking but the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who speaks through us. He will empower us to know what to say, when to say it. He will give us the ability to respond, and He does around the world. As I was looking through some quotes of people who were facing persecution, their quotes had to be of God because they were so powerful. Eusebius, in around the 200s to early 300s A.D., was told that he was going to have all of his property taken away and that he could face death if he didn't recant his faith. And he said this, He needs not fear confiscation who has nothing to lose, nor banishment to whom heaven is his country, nor torments when his body can be destroyed at one blow, nor death, which is the only way to set him at liberty from sin and sorrow. That sounds like a statement encouraged by the Spirit of God. And you know, should we face these things, we have the same Spirit of God. And we can see people with courage and who articulate their faith in the face of persecution because of that same Spirit of God. So when these bad things come, should they come in our lifetime, we're not alone. And for those who face it today, not alone. They have a great mission that they're serving, but they have the ministry of the Holy Spirit who speaks to them, encourages them, undergirds them in the face of such difficulty. One final thought. We need to make sure to stand firm in our mission. Verse 13 warns us, all men will hate you because of me. You know, the idea that everyone's going to look at our Christian faith and say, oh, wow, they are such wonderful people. I want to be just like them. It happens, but it's the exception and not the rule. Live your Christian faith consistently. Share the gospel consistently, but understand more often than not, you'll face rejection. Why? Because people hated Christ. They will hate us also. But then Jesus says this, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. We need to hang in there. We need to stand firm in the face of persecution. Now, there are some that take the last part of this verse and say, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And they make standing firm almost a work. That you earn your salvation by standing firm. Listen. Standing firm doesn't result in salvation. It is the result of salvation. And there's a big difference. If you are truly saved, God will give you what you need to stand firm. If you are not, there's no resource there. There's no strength. Now, what about those in church history who were persecuted and recanted their faith? Some of them under such pressure by the pain that they experienced or watching family members who were tortured, and they recanted their faith. And then many of them came and sought repentance and restoration in the church. What of them? I believe that 
Coming to the place to where we succumb to persecution is a sin like any other sin. And when we repent and then stand firm after our failures, we are saved. The result of our salvation, not the cause of it. We stand firm. Some of you have been in situations to where you've come close to recanting your faith or at least refused to speak up for it because you feel peer group pressure or you feel the embarrassment of those around you who don't share your faith, so you clam up and you withdraw. Does that mean that you're not standing firm to the end? No, but it's something that tells you there's something that needs to change and be transformed in my life, and I need to stand stronger. You need to repent of it and come to the place to where you say, I will take my stand for the things of God. I will stay true to that mission. We need to be people who are prepared now to stand firm. In closing, I just want you to think about this. If you're waiting for persecution to come to solidify your commitment to Christ, understand this. You better be prepared going into it. It's much better than trying to learn faithfulness and maturity once it takes place. Prepare yourselves by being focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. There are things that are happening all around us, the disasters, the wars, Iran's going to get a nuclear bomb, all of these things. Israel's maybe going to be blown off the face of the earth, we're told. All of these things that we can look at, don't get so distracted by those things that you forget your mission. And your mission to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those around you. There's tremendous value in studying prophetic things. There's tremendous value in seeking to understand the meaning of these texts. But to be so engaged in them that we forget what the main thing is and we don't keep the main thing the main thing, there's problems, there's trouble. Prepare your hearts, remain faithful, stand firm in your faith. That's the message of Jesus Christ in this text. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text.